Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and joining me as always is Colleen. How you doing, Colleen? I am good. Uh, I'm going to Carmel this weekend. Well, by the time this episode is released, I'll already be back. But right now, I'm super excited to go. Uh, it's my roommate's birthday, so a group of us are going down to have like a spa day, which will be really fun. Uh, how are you? How fun. Happy birthday, Austin. I know, uh, Carmel. Happy birthday, Austin. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I know. We should wish her a happy birthday. She's our number one fan. Aw. Carmel's amazing, though. Have you been there? Um, Like a long time ago. And I've driven through there a bunch of times, but I've yeah. never really stayed there for any length of time. It's gorgeous. You'll love it. And I like, you know, I, I ride down there like Monterey and all that, but I've also stayed in a bed of breakfast like on the sea and it was really Ooh. gorgeous. Yeah, it was beautiful. So you'll love it. Um, But I'm good, you know. Uh, no plans this weekend, really. Just... Working and editing and, you know, for misconduct, and obviously, mm-hmm. but also yeah. Unearthly. We have episode three of Unearthly Ooh. comes out next week. It's kind of going along. I really, it's, can you believe it? I'm like, we had the conception of it and now it's like, okay, we're on episode three. It's crazy. I'm excited. Episode three. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm Thank having Nicole. fun. Yeah. I know. Nicole's doing awesome. And I'm actually having a lot of fun editing it with like the sound effects and such. Because, you know, we don't do that with misconduct. So it's kind of a little different. And we have a huge sound effects library, thanks to my wonderful wife who bought it years ago. So it's fun. Now let's get to today's show. This week, we'll be discussing a series of murders that happened in Minneapolis over a nine-month period from 1986 to 1987. Three women were found murdered near homeless encampments on the outskirts of downtown, and all of the murders were eerily similar. All the women were beaten, assaulted, and posed after their deaths, and also all three victims were indigenous women local to the area. After the third victim was discovered, a task force was formed to try and identify the serial killer prowling the streets. Police caught a break in the case, and a suspect was arrested. By 1989, prosecutors secured their conviction and the case was considered closed by law enforcement and the public. Years later, with recanted testimony and new DNA testing abilities, the guilt of the person convicted was called into question. Did the state get it right the first time, or was the wrong person in prison for these heinous murders? In the early morning of July 27, 1986, three people were collecting cans along the railroad tracks that ran through Minneapolis near 10th Street. This particular area was known for several semi-permanent homeless encampments nearby. It was also a place for teenagers to hang out after dark and drink away from their parents. So basically, if you waited a bit, this area would fill out with plenty of trash and aluminum cans that could be collected and taken to a recycling center. As the group moved down the tracks, picking up cans as they went, they stumbled across a horrific scene. Just off the tracks, amongst the weeds, 
there is a severely beaten body of a woman. So quick note, we're going to describe how her body was found because in this story, the MO of the murder victims is important. It's graphic though, so if you want to skip ahead a minute or two, now would be the time to do it. Also, there are two more victims after this one with similar MOs. The body had been posed post-mortem. Her arms were out and her pants were draped over one arm. Her shoes were placed on either side of her torso and her shirt was pulled up to her neck. In addition to being beaten, a pipe was laid across the woman's throat and a tree branch was put in her vagina with such force that it pierced her vaginal wall into her abdominal cavity. The bruising and cuts to her face, neck, and body were injuries consistent with the pipe that was found at the scene. There are no defensive wounds found on her. Her blood alcohol content was measured at 0.10, which is just over the legal limit to drive in the United States. The cause of death was ruled to be asphyxia due to the pressure placed on the neck, with her other injuries being contributing factors. This means that she was beaten and then suffocated with the pipe. The medical examiner also noted that the tree branch was inserted around the time of her death. The woman was later identified as 19-year-old Kathleen Bullman. Kathleen was part of the Aglala Sioux Nation and originally from Rapid City, South Dakota, and had hitchhiked to Minneapolis just a few weeks earlier. She was also the mother of a young child that was staying with relatives back in South Dakota. Witnesses came forward and later testified to seeing Kathleen at Dolly's Bar, sitting with a man sharing a pitcher of beer. Dolly's Bar was one of several bars along a strip of Franklin Avenue on the outskirts of downtown nearby where her body was found. The bartender at Dolly's Bar later testified that he recognized Kathleen as a repeat patron, but noted that she was never a problem customer and seemed to be well-liked by the other regulars. A police investigation ensued, but after routine questioning of alibis, the case went cold. Eight and a half months after Kathleen's death, on April 12, 1987, a man at the American Indian Center on Franklin Avenue discovered a body near the perimeter fence. Just beyond this area was a homeless encampment, and once again, this victim had been beaten severely and posed after death. Her arms were outstretched and her clothing had been removed. And like Kathleen, a tree branch had been placed in her vagina and there was also a bloody shoe print on her chest and a blood-stained 2 by 4 near the body. The medical examiner noted that the cause of death was once again asphyxia due to pressure on the neck with the beating as a contributing factor. It was also noted that the tree branch was actually thrust in more than once, perforating her vaginal wall, bladder, and liver. And this all happened while she was still alive. Like Kathleen, she also did not have defensive wounds on her body. She had a blood alcohol content of 0.29, which was much higher than Kathleen's. And for an average-sized person with an average tolerance to alcohol, this blood alcohol level would cause the person to appear very drunk. Police identified the woman as 26-year-old Angeline Whitebird Sweet, who was originally from Bad River Reservation in Wisconsin. Angeline was part of the Chippewa tribe, and she left Wisconsin and moved to Minneapolis after her ex-husband moved himself and their three children to Alaska. In piecing together her last known whereabouts, investigators found that Angeline had also been at the bars on Franklin Avenue. She was last seen in the early morning hours of April 12th as the bars were closing, looking for a ride home. She was also a regular customer at these bars, but as far as investigators could tell, there is no known connection between Angeline and Kathleen. 
Once again, after the initial discovery of the body, the case went cold. Even after questioning dozens of potential suspects, the leads dried up. However, the medical examiner noted and made the recommendation to law enforcement that the same killer was responsible for both murders. Due to the way the bodies were discovered and the manner of death, the two cases were too alike not to have been committed by the same person. Beyond that connection, law enforcement had to hope they would get a break in the case. Unfortunately, two weeks after Angeline was killed, Minneapolis had another murder on their hands. A man collecting cans along the train tracks near 29th Street came across a beaten body of a third woman. She had been stripped naked and posed. The woman sustained severe head injuries and a bloody cinder block was left near her body. Once again, there was a branch placed in her vagina and the medical examiner found that the cause of death was due to blunt force trauma from her extensive head injuries. Also, the branch punctured her vaginal wall, uterus, and abdominal cavity at or near the time of her death. Police determined that the third victim was 21-year-old Angela Green, and she was also part of the Chippewa tribe, and she was originally from Minneapolis. She was previously known to law enforcement because she had been the victim of a rape in Minneapolis three times previously. Like Kathleen and Angeline, Angela was at the bars on Franklin Avenue the night she was murdered. Due to a third body being found with a matching M.O. and similar background, Minneapolis Police Department formed a task force to try and track down the suspect that they were publicly calling a serial killer. Since the serial killer was targeting indigenous women, many activist groups and community leaders in the area were calling for police to swiftly arrest the person responsible. Like much violent crime committed against minority groups in the United States, violence against indigenous women is vastly underreported. A 2004 study from the Department of Justice noted that indigenous women, particularly those residing on reservations, suffer from assault at a much higher rate than those reported by other ethnicities. Furthermore, the same study showed that one in three indigenous women will be sexually assaulted during their lifetime. The same statistic using the U.S. women as a whole is one in five. And this was in 2004. In the last few years, and even the last few months, I believe we have come a long way in reporting assaults and handling reports of assaults, so it would not surprise me if this number was in need of a revision. The first major issue law enforcement ran into was crime scene contamination. These places where the bodies were found were in areas frequented by transients and in some cases semi-permanent encampments existed. So, there was a significant amount of trash at the scenes and it was hard for law enforcement to decide what was useful to the investigation and what wasn't. Due to the lack of leads, police put out a call for help to the community. They are in need of someone to come forward and provide evidence that could hopefully point them in the direction of a suspect. That needed breakthrough came for investigators on May 4, 1987, just days after Angela's body was discovered. A woman who was a waitress at one of the bars on Franklin Avenue called in with a tip. She knew of a frequent customer who police might want to look into. His name was Billy Glaze, and police needed to know about the statements he was known to make about indigenous women. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. So we'll spare you the particulars of what Billy Glaze was alleged to have said, but it involved a number of things ranging from sexually inappropriate to violent. In one instance, a waitress testified that she overheard Glaze saying that he thought, quote, all Native women are scum and ought to be killed and taken to the river. (sighs) And this was just one of the statements that witnesses testified that he made about killing Indigenous women. Billy Glaze was 44 years old in 1987 when he became a suspect in the three murders. He was known to law enforcement and considered to be a transient, but he had been staying with a girlfriend before skipping town a few days after Angela's murder. Billy also went by the name Jesse Coulter and Jesse Sittingcrow. Despite referring to himself as Jesse Sittingcrow, he was not a member of any indigenous tribe. Uh, This was a name he had given himself. Uh, Those who knew him noted that he did have animosity towards indigenous women, and when police visited his girlfriend, it was discovered that he had fled town 72 hours earlier. But before he left, he told his girlfriend, if people were to come looking for me, it's best for you not to tell them anything about me. (sighs) About a week after Billy skipped town, he called his girlfriend and told her he was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but he asked her not to tell anybody. And she promptly called the police and told them where he was. Minneapolis informed Albuquerque and Billy ended up being picked up on a DUI, which put him in violation of his parole for a previous rape conviction that he had received in the 70s. Billy was then sent back to Minneapolis and charged with three counts of murder during the commission of a sexual assault. His bail was set at $2 million and his trial was scheduled to start in January of 1989. While Billy was in jail, a fellow inmate came forward saying Billy confessed that he, quote, murdered those girls in Minneapolis. The police received a tip from an inmate who said that he and two others saw Billy kill Kathleen in 1986. This inmate said that around 3 a.m. on July 27, 1986, he was hanging out with two other men and they were drinking and smoking weed at the encampment. He said it was right after 3 a.m. when he heard a man and a woman walking towards them, arguing. As they rounded the corner, the inmate said he saw the man hit the woman with a pipe. He then said the man continued to beat her and then put a tree branch in her vagina. The inmate said he got a good look at the man's face before he left and identified the assailant as Billy. So one thing that I think is weird is that these three guys watched a man beat a woman to death with a pipe and then assault her with a tree branch and they didn't try to intervene. And I read like the appeal like yeah. decision where it describes 
like the details surrounding the case. And it's not like it was like we glossed over, you know, that that's a short version of what these people saw. Like that was pretty much all that was in the decision of what they saw. It was like, huh. oh, yeah, we saw a guy beat up this woman and, and kill her, her and then assault her. And we were just like hanging out. So and then we just left. It just it's weird to me. It is really strange. Another witness came forward and placed Billy at the scene of Angela's murder. He said that on the night of the murder, he saw Billy at the scene where Angela's body was found. The witness said he saw Billy in the area for over a half hour and then saw police show up later. A key piece of evidence at trial was a ring that was in Billy's girlfriend's possession. She said that it was given to her by Billy before he fled to New Mexico. At trial, Angela's grandmother identified the ring as the ring she had given to Angela as a gift. Also, Angela's crime scene was a shoe print from a track shoe, which was a brand that was exclusively sold at Kmart. Billy's girlfriend testified that she bought him the same brand of shoes in size 10, and the shoe print at the crime scene was consistent with a men's size 10. The case went to a jury in early February of 1989, and they started deliberations on a Tuesday, and they had a verdict by Friday morning. Billy Glaze was found guilty on all counts and sentenced to 50 years to life in prison, and at his sentencing, he maintained his innocence. After serving 15 years in prison, Billy made a series of shocking statements. In 2004, he was being questioned by investigators from California regarding confessions he made to murders he supposedly committed while briefly living there in the 1970s. He doubled down on his statements, claiming responsibility for the Minnesota murders. When asked why he killed these women, Billy smirked and said, killing, quote, makes you feel like a god. Because Billy was now confessing to more crimes and had lived in many places as a transient, cities with unsolved murders began looking into him as a possible suspect. At one point, he was actually looked at in connection with the Green River killings before Gary Ridgway was arrested. Although Billy made multiple claims after he was arrested, no further murders have been attributed to him. After confessing to multiple crimes, including the Minneapolis murders, Billy had changed his story. Now in 2007, Billy was working with the Innocence Project to get evidence tested to prove that none of the DNA collected at the crime scenes belonged to him. In 2009, with the help of the Innocence Project, semen evidence from Angela's crime scene was tested. In the late 80s, this type of testing would not have been possible, but with scientific advances, the evidence was able to be compared against DNA from Billy. And it was determined that the sample from the crime scene did not match Billy. However, it did match another person when the DNA was run through the database. The DNA belonged to a man who served time for raping another indigenous woman in 1989, and after serving his time, he was released. A test was also done on cigarette butts found at Angeline's murder scene, and the DNA at this scene also matched that same man. So this man, who isn't really named publicly, like his name is out there, but not to the point that we felt comfortable naming him here, was known to law enforcement as a transient living in Minneapolis at the time of the murders. It is likely that he ran in the same circles as Billy. Because the bodies were found near homeless encampments and the crime scenes themselves had a lot of trash unrelated to the murders, prosecutors argued that the cigarette butts might not be material to this case at all. It is likely that this man hung out in these places and may have left cigarettes at a different time. Basically, these cigarette butts matching this guy does not mean that he killed these women. 
Police interviewed this man in 2012 after he was arrested for a parole violation. Part of his sentence for the 1989 rape conviction was registering as a sex offender, and he failed to do so after moving to a new address. The man denied knowing any of the women and denied any involvement in the murders. Law enforcement agreed, and he was not pursued further. He was eventually released and is reportedly still living in the Minneapolis area. Later, the man who testified at Billy's trial that he saw Billy Angela's crime scene before the police arrived recanted his testimony. The witness said he could not positively identify Billy as the man that he saw there that night. And now with all this evidence poking holes in the prosecution's case, the Innocence Project filed an appeal for a new trial in 2014. Their main argument was that with the results of the new DNA evidence, the prosecution fails to place Billy at the scene of the crimes beyond a reasonable doubt. And I tend to agree he could have been there or he might not have been there at all. The evidence sure doesn't prove he was there. Right, I agree. The prosecution fought the new trial request, citing Billy's own confession and extensive eyewitness testimony from his original trial. Furthermore, they questioned the importance of the evidence that was tested by the Innocence Project, particularly the cigarette butts. Hennepin County Attorney's Office released the following statement on their position of the case. The Billy Glaze case is moot and should end now. The Hennepin County Attorney's Office has cooperated with this review since 2007. There is no public safety interest or statewide impact that would warrant even more lengthy and costly litigation. As this office has said consistently for more than a year, the facts of these murders do not fit within the standard innocence project narrative, and this was never a DNA exoneration case. There was overwhelming evidence proving Glaze's guilt. Glaze told many, many witnesses that he wanted to rape Indian women with sticks. The murder of Kathleen Bullman was witnessed and Glaze was identified as Bullman's killer. After Angela Green was murdered, Glaze gave his girlfriend a ring that belonged to Green. Finally, Glaze confessed to the murders before trial and again 15 years after the trial. In late 2015, the process for getting a new trial was still ongoing. And then Billy, who had been in prison for over 27 years at this point, was suddenly diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. He passed away shortly after his diagnosis on December 22, 2015, and according to his defense, his dying wish was that the fight to clear his name would continue. In 2016, it was ruled that Billy would not get a new trial. As far as I could tell, as of mid-2017, the fight continued to clear Billy's name when the Innocence Project filed an appeal with the Minnesota Supreme Court. So that's pretty much where the case stands now, and I guess the first question will be, do you think that Billy is guilty of these murders? I really don't know. I was pretty sure he, he was until the DNA came into play. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I go back and forth on it a lot, kind of like the Kevin Cooper case. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's definitely possible that he's guilty. Multiple people testified that he said these awful things about indigenous women and made claims that he wanted to seriously hurt or kill them. However, I don't think that the prosecution maybe met their burden of evidence for a conviction. Maybe by 1987 standards, but yeah, definitely not today. I think they would need much more solid evidence and not be able to rely on you know, witness testimony as heavily as they did. Right. And I'll be honest, based on what I did read about Billy, he didn't seem like a great dude. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. He he confessed to these murders and he had a prior rape conviction. I think he's just kind of like a racist guy from the sounds of it. 
But despite that, should he be in prison for something he did not or might not have done? I think the answer to that is no. Oh, I agree. We we take the position that we can't lock people up if we can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they're guilty. And I truly do feel for the victims. I feel like we say this a lot, but a wrongful conviction isn't just as injustice for the person in prison. It isn't justice for the victims either. The person responsible should be held accountable for the heinous murders of Kathleen, Angeline, and Angela. Having that person go free for for over 30 years while someone else is in prison is just it's not justice. And uh, that wraps up our show for this week. Thanks for listening. But before we go, we have some housekeeping to get through. First off, we want to say thank you to some of our listeners who took the time to leave us five-star reviews. Thank you to Hooded Fantasia, April, Heart My Red Dog, and Steph R90 for your reviews. Your reviews help us out a lot, and we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us feedback. We also want to take a second to thank our most recent Patreon supporters. So thank you to Rebecca and Catherine for your Patreon support. Your support means the world to us and we cannot thank you enough. And if you'd like to see our Patreon page, go to www.patreon.com slash misconductpodcast. This week's podcast recommendation is Minds of Madness. If you're looking for a new podcast to check out, give them a listen. Stay tuned to the end to hear a word from their show. Do you want some misconduct merch? Guess what? We have a store set up. Uh, you can order Yay. t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, water bottles, magnets, and more. Our store is set up through Zazzle, and everything you purchase is made to order and drop ship directly to you. All commission earned on any purchases through our store go directly to the podcast. It helps us keep the lights on and the research going. If you're interested, you can go to our website, www.misconductpodcast.com forward slash store, or www.zazzle.com forward slash misconduct pod and remember to always use the discount codes they are always discounted and you save tons every day and finally a special thank you to our wonderful researcher hannah for helping us put this episode together and that wraps us up for another episode of misconduct thank you so much for joining us if you have a second head on over to our facebook group to discuss this week's case We love our group and we'd love being able to interact with you guys. So if you're not a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on these cases. So hop on over and let us know what you thought of today's case. Do you think Billy is guilty? You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. We also want to give a huge shout out to The Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music. Be sure to look them up on Bandcamp to check out more of their music. If you have a case suggestion, let us know about it. You can email us at misconductpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you next week. dad, a university professor, and a taxi driver all possibly have in common? You can find out by listening to The Minds of Madness, a true crime podcast where we uncover the series of events, the circumstances, and the state of mind which cause ordinary people to do unthinkable things. 
The Minds of Madness is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and all other major podcast apps. Subscribe today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.